Hello and welcome to another episode of Brazilian Entrepreneurs. Today's conversation is about start, scale, exit, repeat. And if you've just started or you're considering launching a business, I'm curious, are you also thinking about your exit strategy? Well, perhaps after today's episode, you will. We are talking with serial entrepreneur Patrick Tien, a CEO coach. He helps CEOs and their companies navigate challenges, avoid failure, and achieve their audacious dreams. We love talking about audacious dreams and how to get there. He's walked the journey of an Inc. 500 CEO. He's an award-winning entrepreneur, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today best-selling author and CEO coach, as I said. And we're mixing things up a bit today with two guests. Colin C. Campbell is the author of Start, Scale, Exit, Repeat. He's started, scaled, and exited over a dozen companies in partnership with his team. The book takes research from more than 30 experts and seasoned entrepreneurs, and it reports on all of their hard-earned lessons. And today, we're hoping to share some of that with you, our listening audience, so that you too can grow a successful business. Patrick is Colin's coach. So lean in as we welcome Patrick and Colin. This is Resilient Entrepreneurs, the podcast where we speak with business owners from all around the world, from all walks of life, in the hopes that something you hear will leave your business a little richer. Our business, Two for One Branding, supports new entrepreneurs as they launch their business, and we offer you the tools you need to succeed, which is exactly why we invite experienced, successful entrepreneurs like these two gentlemen to share their wisdom with you on this podcast. And if you love hearing their stories, please subscribe on whichever channel you're listening or watching on now, and you will be notified of the next great episode. Colin, Patrick, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. Thank you very much. We're glad to be here. Well, we're very excited to have you on and to have this conversation. Um, we often talk to early scale business owners, entrepreneurs that are just starting out in their journey, and we know how crazy that journey can be. So I just love to start there with you guys. So what do you think is like the best part of being an entrepreneurship? What's even the point of being an entrepreneur? If you're talking to someone who's sort of sitting on that fence, they've got a great idea, but they're just afraid to take that first leap. What would you tell them is like the best part of being an entrepreneur? And Colin, I'll start with you. Well, I would say this goes back to something my grandmother told me, and she was a farmer up in Ontario, actually became one of the largest raspberry farmers. And she said to me, it doesn't matter how much money you make, if as long as you're doing it yourself and it's your own business, it feels a lot more fun. And to go with that, there's a lot more freedom. Well, that's pretty much it, fun and freedom. For me, I think it's about chasing what I love chasing what I love to do. And a lot of entrepreneurs ask me that same question and I tell them not to chase money. I think that's a mistake. I think you got to figure out what you love to do, chase that. And the rest kind of just follows. So tell us then, how did you guys get together? What's the story behind this? The two versions are always like, you know, there's always like his version, my vision, and the truth is somewhere <laughs> in the middle. But we should do Colin's version. Yeah, and it's interesting because in Patrick's book, Rhythm Systems, he talks about the meetup and how we first met. And in the book, Start, Scale, Exit, Repeat, we also talk about how we first met. Uh, fact of the matter is we had a publicly traded company in 2005, 2006. Uh, a board member came to me and said he was very concerned about the way 
my brother and I were running the company. I was CEO, and it was pretty much suggesting that my term as CEO was going to be ending pretty soon. Uh, the company had flat lines. Mm -hmm. We had disorder in the company. We had arguments, arguments amongst the staff. We had situations where you think you're going to make it that quarter, but by the end of the quarter, we were blindsided. Something went wrong, and it was just a bit of a mess, to be quite frank. So a friend of mine recommended that I try to get some professional help. And uh, I actually flew to Vegas for a conference, and I met Patrick in a cafe. And I said to Patrick, look, all I need you to do for me is just get the board directors off my back. So we'll do a few things here and there. I don't need to do all the stuff that, that you're talking about because he was talking about a lot of work here. He was talking about making us do two days of strategic planning a quarter and weekly meetings and daily sales huddles. And this was a lot. I said, I don't really need all that. I just need to get the board off my back. So this was akin to like a patient going to a doctor and saying, uh, I'm overweight, but I don't really need to do the hard work. The, the workouts and I don't need to change my lifestyle and I don't need to change my diet. Just give me a pill. And then Patrick said, no, I, I'm not going to help you out here unless you do it all the way. And I'm like, all the way, geez. So we did it. We made the leap and it was transformative, but I'll, I'll come to that in a minute. Patrick, your version? Well, I would say your version is almost like identical to mine now. Uh, so I would say that I met Colin because he walked into Jeffrey Wolf's office, saw my dashboards on Jeff's wall. At least this is what Jeff told me. And Jeff was a customer of mine and, and Colin asked him, hey, where'd you get these dashboards? I just need these dashboards. And so Jeff said, hey, Patrick, I want you to meet one of my forum buddies. And he loves your dashboards. Just, just talk to him. So when Colin and I connected, but like any other entrepreneur, Colin is really busy. And most entrepreneurs at his stage, and they were a public company, so he wasn't a startup anymore. And his hair was on fire, and there were just a lot of things wrong with the company. But they were all like little things. So from my perspective, what I wanted Colin to do was to just settle down a little bit, get into a disciplined rhythm of being able to look at things and fix them one by one by one. But it's really hard to do when your hair's on fire and the board's telling you that you got to go and all kinds of stuff. And so Colin did share with me that that's all he wanted. And I shared with him that might work. Actually, what he said to me is he said that uh, you know, maybe some of your clients need the two days, but I, I probably only need a day. And I said he had to talk to me every single month also. And he said, well, I don't know that I want to talk to you every single month. And so what I shared with him was that I don't know, maybe the way he wants to do it would work, but I don't know. However, I do know the way I want to do it will definitely work. And I wasn't going to sign up to work with anyone if I didn't know that that was going to be of value to them and, and made it work for them. So getting called to commit to this process was not about getting more days in or, or making more money. It was really about making sure that when I engage with a customer, I have full confidence that I'm going to make that customer great. And if I don't have full confidence, I won't take the customer as a client. And it may have nothing to do with the customer. It may have to do with chemistry. It may have to do with my inability or something that I see that I don't think I can be helpful. That's kind of what I'm focused on is whether or not I can give the customer enough value to actually save them. So my, my journey, my, my passion right now is to help entrepreneurs not fail, but rather to succeed because 
it is really hard to succeed as an entrepreneur. The failure rates are very high. So anything you can do to help yourself have a high chance of success is probably worth doing. Yeah, cannot agree more with you there. That alignment is really key, I think, between a coach and a student, I guess, or client. Really key to be aligned on the same page and that you can help them. Otherwise, you're both going to struggle. That doesn't make any sense. So it is really key for entrepreneurs to look for a coach, a mentor. We do know that that's a massive path to success. Colin, I'd like to know sort of what your first startup was. How did you first start out as an entrepreneur? Go back to those times and tell us how, how that all came to be. I actually started on the family farm uh, right after college, sort of flogged vegetables, saved up enough money to start my first business. It was a software rental business with my brother. And unfortunately, the, it was outlawed in January 1st, 1994. So 12, 13 months after we started the business, we had to shut down our first company. But what we did there, interestingly, was we started something called a bulletin board service. And that bulletin board service was the way people would connect before the internet. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know how you want to characterize this one, we had to shut that company down 12 months later because we needed the phone lines to launch a new business called Internet Direct. And that company grew to become the number one fastest growing company in Canada. It went public. Uh, we were on the front page of Profit Magazine, which was like their Inc. magazine of the time. And we decided to sell that company to a cable company. We agreed to an 18-month lockup, and this was in 1999. And we merged the company at about $180 million valuation. At that time, we had applied for a, a license from the government, and we were awarded the wireless license for all of Canada, 50% of the license, and the stock shot up to over a billion dollars. Now, this was pretty cool. But something happened in March of 2000. You two are too young to remember this, but it was the dot-com crash. There was not enough chairs to go around when the music stopped. And our $50 million offering, we had to pull it. And the, the those who were in charge of the company at the time, we were no longer in control. Those who were in charge of the company at the time said, oh, well, let's wait till the NASDAQ gets better. The NASDAQ went from 5,000 to 4,000. But you would not know this, but the NASDAQ actually went to 1,200. It Those are great days, Colin. Those are great days. Oh. It was horrible. So the stock that traded at $19 a share, fast forward 12 months later, we filed for bankruptcy protection and we ended up selling all of our stock for six cents a share. So pretty much a complete wipeout from first place to last place. And that's probably at the point where you say, why the heck? Are we talking to this guy who pretty much bankrupted his first three companies or shut down his first three companies? Yeah, uh, Colin, I think we made happened? a mistake. I'm not sure you're the one we invited <laughs> on to this podcast. Exactly. Just <laughs> kidding, mate. Just kidding. Patrick's already said it's hard to be <clears throat> successful as an entrepreneur. And you're the shining example in those early stages. So we'll listen in for the rest. Yes. And that is the basis of this book. Start, scale, exit take some money off the table, repeat. That should have really been the title. My brother and I love technology. Fast forward six years later, we do another IPO for another company. That's the company that was struggling. See, one thing about us entrepreneurs, we're really good. We can get it going to a certain point on our own. But the vast majority of companies globally fail to scale. 
And they fail to scale because they don't put in the right systems and operations. And the the owner does not step out of the way. We are our own worst enemies when it comes to scaling. And by understanding that, by hiring other leaders to help us scale the business, by implementing systems and by getting coaching, that's the key. Now, you said something earlier about how important it is to get coaching and mentors. We had the opportunity to interview Bridget Weston. She is the CEO of SCORE. They have 10,000 volunteers. So we're talking about a free coach, a free mentor. And they make the claim that you can increase your chances of success with a startup by three times. I have no doubt that we would not have sold that company, that publicly traded company that Patrick helped us coach and get us to the next level. After he came in, by the way, the company exploded. We tripled in size and we sold to a Fortune 500 company for 17 times EBITDA. And this time it was all cash. And Colin, I remember you telling me about the lesson you learned back then. And you said to me, Patrick, and I've, I've built all these companies, but I've not really made enough money. And you said to me, the big lesson you learned was either control, but if no control, I got to have cash. And so you were very disciplined when you sold Hostopia to make sure that you would get cash, not just stock. That was good. That was a good job. So yeah. what was it What was it in the coaching, Patrick, that you helped Colin understand that he got to a place where he could pull the pieces of the company together to make it exitable for him? So the rhythm process has a bunch of different things. We call it think, plan, do. Lots of entrepreneurs don't take enough time to think about what's going on, what's going wrong. So we put you in a process that forces you every quarter to pause for two days and think and plan. Then we have a way of making sure that every single week you do the work because you can plan all day long, but if you don't do the work well, nothing happens well. So on a weekly basis, we make sure that you look at what's going on, you look at your goals, you adjust to make sure you succeed. And then we come out, we take a bird's eye view and Every quarter or every year, I want a company to improve themselves properly by one or two things. And in fact, I don't know if Colin will remember this, but when I first told Colin that, he was surprised. He said, only fix one or two things a year. That's not fast enough. And I, I asked him, I said, think about the last year. How many things did you actually fix that were permanent, like permanent improvements in the company? He thought about it and he said, Actually, I can't think of any. I said, okay, so so isn't one or two a year better than zero? Because what happens is that most entrepreneurs are in that stage of fighting fires. They're running from fire to fire to fire. But if you don't improve the company a little bit while you're fighting fires, then you're just going to be playing whack-a-mole. You're going to come back to solve the same problem 12 months from now. But you're working so hard. And I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that because we're working so hard, we're actually getting there. But you may not be getting there. You may just be surviving. And that was kind of where Colin was. Because Wall Street, in this case on the Toronto Stock Exchange, they judge you incorrectly. They only judge you based on your financial performance, which is really the results of all your work. So they don't judge you on whether you're doing the right things to get the result. They just judge you on the result. So that's the wrong thing to look at, frankly, if you're trying to improve a company, to only look at the short-term results. Yeah, can I add something here as well, too? What's interesting before Patrick, it's like it's interesting before Patrick, after Patrick, okay? 
before Patrick, I had gone to conferences. I was trying to learn stuff. I would bring it back to the team. We would all get excited about it. We'd implement it. And then two, three months later, it would go away. And it became to a point where all the staff were saying, oh, here goes Colin again. He's going to another conference. He's going to try to bring something back. But it wasn't until we met Patrick that we had a way of institutionalizing operating procedures. A lot of it's related to the software platform that he's developed, which is a goal-setting platform and project management platform. And it's, it's very simple. It's a red, yellow, green, and super green. And with this particular platform, every week you status and everybody in the organization understands their individual goals. You also have corporate goals, company goals for the quarter. And it institutionalized a lot of the concepts that we've tried to put in place, but everybody was accountable now. And there was transparency and there was no more blindsiding. You knew midway through the quarter whether or not the person was going to stumble or not or miss their goal because they went yellow, they statused, the team would help each other out. It was absolutely incredible how it transformed this chaotic organization of lots of running on instinct with 500 employees into a very sort of like a Swiss clock. And how do I know this? Because when we sold the company, the CEO, I'm in a boardroom with 15 people and we did a presentation and the CEO, Lee Schramm, this is the company was Deluxe, he points to all his people and says, team, this is the kind of culture I want to bring to our company. And that was a Fortune 500 company. He was there. That's the culture they wanted to bring. So, you know, Colin uh, has a disciplined way of running his firm and also has a really good demeanor between, hey, here's where we're going to be flexible. You do what you want to do. And here's where we're not flexible. You're going to do this. And uh, I think that See, that's the juxtaposition that, that all entrepreneurs need. They need to know when they can say, as long as we get there, we're fine. We're not going to micromanage you. And then certain things they need to be able to say, this is how you're going to do it. Or otherwise, you shouldn't be here. You should go find somebody else to play with. But in my company, these are the core values. This is the things we're going to do. If you can't do those things, you shouldn't be here. So Colin, I think, has the personality, the strength, and the wisdom, actually, to make the right choices in that space. So. Hey, these things were flexible. These things, uh, not quite so. So uh, the key was culture. I think that it didn't work very well at Deluxe because uh, I went into Deluxe as well because it's you got to have that culture, actually, of being able to say, all right, everybody wants that beautiful piece of art, but not everyone can paint it. So that's kind of what's happening in wealth companies I go to. Patrick, we focus a lot on values in our own company and with the clients that we serve. We believe values is really the crux. In fact, when Laura and I started this business, that was the first thing that we agreed before anything. It was, these are our shared values. This is the values we want to go forward on. Talk to us a bit about the importance of that and the levels you're playing. So I'll share a couple of things. First is that your work culture depends on your core values. So a lot of people don't realize that. Values is important, but you've got to translate that to work culture and work culture is really made up of your, of your behaviors, how you behave. And I would say that uh, lately I've learned that it really takes two things. It takes your values, but it also takes mindset. So when, when you bring people on board, sometimes you may notice that some people have the right values, but somehow they're not working out great either. You wonder why? Well, maybe because they don't have the right mindset. So, and the mindset and core value things are very close, but one quick example, 
people would be, let's say one of your values is go the second mile for people. Okay, that's great. And one of the mindsets that your company needs is really a risk-taking mindset, but that's not necessarily a value. It's the way you're thinking. So if you say, I need an environment that goes a second mile and needs to be a risk-taking mindset, but you didn't hire people with a risk-taking mindset, they may have the values, but their behavior may still be limiting in your environment. So that's just an example where what I've seen is that it kind of takes values and the way people think. Because I think you can train how people think a little bit, but some things are pretty deep. Some things are pretty deep. And that's the reason why values are just as important, right? Because values are really deep. If, if somebody can fake it for a while, but it's tiring to fake values. Yeah, spot on. Now, Colin also talked about your software. I'm curious to know about this a little more. So you've built a software that effectively does performance management along with operational management and all the dashboards that in the old school we used to have on spreadsheets, potentially, right, with the red, amber, green. You've created a software that does this um, and makes it easier for people to be self-accountable? Yeah, I, I would say that it takes a few things. The, the software package allows us to document our strategies, test it, argue over it, debate over it, decide and then and they kind of agree to what the goals are. And then after that, we provide you a way to every single week status it and then give you a 13-week dashboard so you can see the trends of your colors. So that's what the dashboard does in a nutshell. That being said, I would say that companies who succeed with us, it takes using the system once you get past a certain number of employees. When you have 5, 10 employees, you can probably live without something like that. But once you go past 20, 30, 40, 50 employees, uh, you can't get everyone aligned. So this system will allow you to get everyone focused, aligned, and accountable. But I've learned over the years that the software is the platform to help people really develop the right habits. So it's really giving you the right habits of success as a company. It's the right habit to review your goals every single week. It's the right habit to provide a honest estimation or forecast of whether you achieve your goals it's the right habit to discuss those and make the right adjustments if you're not. Most people wait for five weeks and go, oh my God. And actually, if I could pull that four or five weeks to the week one, I've just saved you three, four weeks, right? And if I can save you three, four weeks, you'll be much more successful. So we have people that use the software without developing those habits and they're not as successful either. So it's a combination really of the software, the habits. And then the reason why this coaching is to help you make the right decisions. I think one of the biggest, most difficult things to do uh, that we do when my team comes in is we help people say no to a bunch of things. So most people think that strategy is saying yes to the right things, and it is, but that's only 50% of the equation. The all 30% of the equation, the other 70% of the equation is saying no to all the other things, which is really hard, especially entrepreneurs are not built to say no. Entrepreneurs are built to say, I can do that too. I can do that too. I can do that too. I'll I'll sleep less. I'll do that too. So really, the hardest part is getting people to understand that there's much more power when you can focus and say, okay, I'm going to do these three, four things. Therefore, these five, six things I'm going to say no to. So it's a combination of those things that make companies successful. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Colin, I'd like to know, like, if we go to 
sort of that stage from going as a solo entrepreneur or in a partnership like you were with your brother to moving to building a team. So it's starting the scaling process from one to a, to a group, to a team and bringing in like the ideas of having a good culture, bringing in your values. Like how do you hire? Like how do you start bringing on team members that are going to work well for your vision of what your company is going to be? Tell us a little bit about that process. It's interesting you bring that up. In our book, Start, Scale, Exit, Repeat, we talk about the story, the people, the money, and the systems. In order for any company to succeed at any of those stages, we need those four components in place. And it's very different at scale. See, at start, it's all about ourselves. It's all about what we can do and how our strength of our personality. But at scale, it's all about finding a team that complements you. And I would say the very first thing that any solo entrepreneur should do is profile themselves. And I like I happen to like the DISC profile method. I think that works very, very well. But you know who you are. You understand who you are. Look, I'm not good at sales. I, I'm just horrible at it. I'm dominant and I'm also analytical, but I'm not good at sales. So I hire those for I, I hire people for those roles that I'm not good at. Sales is one of them. I'm not good at technology. I don't understand it. I've run technology companies for 30 years, but I still don't know how to transfer a domain name. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. We don't have to be experts at everything. But what we do need to do is find others who complement us. And I first talk about personality profiles in the book. And then second, talk about skill sets as well. And when you do that, it's absolutely amazing if you can get a team of leaders because those leaders help you scale your business. And then they also are the ones who are being coached by Patrick or by one of Patrick's coaches because believe it or not, coaching and goal setting and all the systems that we put in place are not about trying to get the poor performers to perform better. It's all about getting your top performers to perform that much better why do you think Olympic athletes have coaches? When you're running a company, this is it's game time. And your A players, they need to run at a higher level. And they can do that with a lot of the systems and planning that's put in place through a lot of the stuff that Patrick's company does. And I will add, after that company, Hostopia, that we sold, we brought in rhythm systems into Dot Club. And we ran that for nine, 10 years, sold that company to GoDaddy. We brought it into a real estate business. We just, we're actually bringing it into Paw.com. And Patrick, our strategic planning session is tomorrow. Uh, two days strategic planning for Paw.com using the oh, Rhythm yeah. platform system. And they were using another system before. And we just changed the CEO about three weeks ago. And we're uh, kicking it off now. Uh, because that company was derailing. Again, there's a lot of systems out there, but a system that could really help institutionalize a lot of the goal setting, winning moves, strategy. He's put it all together. He's packaged it. He's made it very, very simple. And we're implementing it tomorrow at paw.com. Colin, I'm so excited that you're a convert to Patrick Tian's system. <laughs> After having said, don't give me all that nonsense. I don't need to do all that hard work. Just give me the magic pill. Now look at you. It makes money. We make money from it. I learned how to scale the culture. You talk about culture. I learned how to scale the culture. I learned how to implement core values in our organization. I never could have done that on my own. 
I didn't know about goal setting. I never knew how to implement goal setting. And what's interesting too is by having a coach, it's an extra level of accountability. I almost think, because you become close with the people around you. And like, oh, I didn't get my goal setting done, da, da, da. And they'll say, yeah, 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 okay. But no, Patrick's coming in. He says, nope, the goal setting has to be. There's an extra level of accountability that comes in place when you have a coach. If you really do want to scale your company, I talk about this in the book, is the, the best ROI you can have of any investment would be getting a coach in for your company. We entrepreneurs, we do things on an ad hoc basis. We might have good instinct. You might think we know what we're doing, but the reality is the vast majority of companies fail to scale. And by bringing in a coach and goal setting, that can increase your chances of success. Lots of entrepreneurs don't think about bringing in a coach until they're in the dire need. And I'll share with you my story too. When I was running my first company, Metasys, uh, this gentleman, Richard John Nellon, offered to buy my company when we were about $5 million in revenue. And I was very arrogant. He said, how much would your company cost? And I said, you know, Richard, uh, X plus one, buddy. And he said, what does X plus one mean? I said, a buck more than you have. So he um, was, of course, offended by that. And then a few years later, we were teens now, like I can't quite remember, 12, 14 million in revenue. And my hair was on fire. I was probably in the worst place than Colin. And um, I thought I was going to die, actually. I, I just felt like I couldn't breathe. And so I called, called Richard up and he had just sold, he had just exited a public company. And, and he wasn't very nice to me. <laughs> I still remember the conversation. He was not very nice to me. I'm wondering why this guy is being such a jerk. And then finally, he said, and he was living in New York City. I said, Richard, I just need you to come over to Charlotte and check out my company. Just help me out. Give me a couple of days. And he said, no. He said, I'll pay you. He goes, I don't want your money. So why wouldn't you want my money? My, I, I'll pay you extra. He goes, he goes, no, I got lots of clients in New York City. I have no desire to jump on a plane and, and see you. So I told him, I said, Richard, um, if you don't jump on a plane and come see me, I will die. You will see my obituary in newspapers and you would know it was your fault. And Richard said, he laughed. And then he said, um, this is so amazing to see Mr. X plus one go to the I'll die if you don't help me. And I stopped because I had totally forgotten that conversation. And he said, do you remember what we're talking about? I, I lied. I said, I, no, I don't quite remember what you're talking about. So he takes me, brings me through that again. And and I said, yes, I, I do remember. He said, okay. He said, you know, it's so nice to see Mr. X plus one become Mr. I'll die if you don't help me. Just for that, I'll come to Charlotte and, and I'll, I'll, I'll just check you out for a couple of days. So Richard came and uh, after a day or two, he told me, he said, you know, Patrick, you're actually a nice guy. You're, you're actually more kind than I thought you were. And your ego is not as big as it, I thought it was. Probably because it was pummeled by now, right? At the time it was huge, but now I'm, I'm about to die. And so he agreed to help me. Uh, and I also, at the time, I mean, I didn't do weekly. I didn't do any of the stuff that we talk about here. Well, I did some of it, but not all. And I was stretched for time. So things that took time, I'd say no to. A weekly meeting, I'd say no to. So Richard actually instituted some of these things for me with me kicking and screaming and things worked really quickly. So one thing I noticed is that once you decide to allow this to happen in your company, the improvements happen almost immediately. It's quite amazing actually, because I'm thinking, oh my God, this is going to take freaking forever for these things to work. A weekly meeting? Are you kidding me? Like, But literally within a couple of weeks, I can really see behavior changing I can really see people talk about their work changing. I got encouraged when I saw those changes so quickly. And that's kind of stuck with it. And then it worked for me.
I think it's just hard for entrepreneurs to imagine. Like I'm so busy. Do I want one more meeting? Well, yeah, because you have ten useless meetings, so you should have one great meeting and kill the other ten useless meetings. Right? But while having so many meetings, and I hear that all the time, you know, Patrick, do I need one more meeting? I go, yes, you do, because you need to shoot shoot about five other meetings, and you actually save time if you do it right. It sounds so basic, doesn't it? It sounds like we're really getting back to basics. Yet yes. we've really turned away from the things that worked. And you're bringing people's focus back into what really works and just do that. And like you said, say no to a bunch of other stuff. Now, the book, you've researched more than 30 experts in this field. We want to know the hard-earned lessons. Are these some of the lessons? Can you give us a top three? Well, let me tell you, this book was something else. It actually kicked off in 2012 when Patrick invited me to speak to a group of Uh, entrepreneurs at MIT for the Masters of Entrepreneurship program. And and at the time, it was all about reflecting on what it was that I was doing over and over again to start, scale, exit, repeat. And I've talked about a few of the company, but I've done about a dozen companies. And many of them had been very successful. So that project of the book started 10 years ago. And then only two years ago, we got really serious. I got a uh, a writing coach. And we interviewed over 200 people in this book. And only about 50 actually interviews actually made the book. And today, the work we put into it, a lot of work. We have six full-time staff members on the last two years. And the, the results are in. I mean, today, right now, it is the number one bestseller on Amazon for starting a business in the United States. And the book has also been written for the ADHD entrepreneur. It really is simplified. We have over 58 chapters, 30 illustrations, 200 callouts. So there's a lot in this book about starting, scaling, exiting, and repeating. And at each stage, it's very, very different. So three little tips, and I don't have them in my head right now, but they'll pop in. First of all, when starting a business, and I know a lot of your entrepreneurs, or they might be thinking about starting a business. We have a chapter called Ideas to Action. And really, you can have a great idea. And a lot of people do, but they never take, they never do it. They never take the action. We were sitting in a dasha in 2005, talking about our frustrations as we traveled around the world, how we could never get a taxi. And we came up with an idea called My Yellow Button. So you just press this yellow button and a taxi would come to you on a GPS device. Well, we took that back to the team on Monday. We never really followed up. And we had a development company in the mobile space and Uber and Lyft came out. So don't be the one to look back and say, hey, that was my idea. In scale, I think the most important thing you can understand is that the entrepreneur is in the way. I I say that's the number one reason why companies fail to scale. The entrepreneur is in the way. They need to step back. They need to figure out who they are, their personality profile, hire around them and implement systems like we've talked about today. And then in exits, I think the message there for me is start, scale, exit, take some money off the table, repeat, because bad things do happen. In 2022, 
We saw the tech wreck, the crypto crash. We saw the war start in Ukraine. We saw a hurricane in the United States. It was a hard, hard year. We saw the pandemic only a year or two before that. Look, the reality is bad things do happen. And that's why it's important to start scale, exit, take some money off the table, and then repeat. Let's talk about exit for a minute. So how does entrepreneur know when to exit and what's going to make a successful exit for them? Like, how do they set themselves up for a successful exit? Yeah, and we talk a lot about exit. And again, we talk about the story, the people, the money, and the systems. And the reality is that and there's, there's about nine or 10 concepts around this in the book, but we're going to want to think about, first of all, timing. Timing is 50% of the value of exit. Put it in put you give me an example here. When we sold Hostopia, we closed a month before the Lehman crisis. There's no way we would have got the valuation we did unless we did that. When we sold Dot Club to GoDaddy, we we closed before the tech wreck of 2022. When we sold Two Cows, which is another company, was a, one of our first successful sale back in 1999, it was just before the dot com crash. So I've often said to people, why don't look for signs? Look for signs where the market is hot. Obviously, we're in a, in, a, in a very difficult market right now, but you can start to sense things. If you go back to 2021, what were the signs? GameStop being like out of control. You had SPACs blowing up, doing well at, at the time, doing very, very well. You had Bitcoin going crazy. You had NFTs, these concepts that were just $500,000 board apes, cartoon pictures. So we're going to want to look for signs of froth in the market. And this is, by the way, this is something I do. When you go through the what I did in the 90s when I was losing $100 million at the age of 28 years old, you learn to change your systems, right? You learn to think about cycles. And we're always going in and out of cycles. And the fact of the matter is the market can be frothy. And when it is frothy, that's when I say exit stage left. And I think if I add to that, most entrepreneurs haven't learned what Colin said because most of us believe that we control everything. We control our destiny. And I've always shared with folks that if you think about your company, it's a small little boat that's on the ocean. And the ocean rises and falls with the tides and you have no control over that. Zero control over that. So in my second company, when I started it, Venture partners were all over trying to give me money and my my business partner, two successful entrepreneurs coming together. They didn't even care what we did. They're like, just here's your valuation of five, 10 million, blah, blah, blah. Just take our money. And we did. And then later on in the dot-com bust, because I was so wise, I started my company to peak off the dot-com bubble and, and then the bust happened. That's really wisdom. It's hard to fail that bad. And then when we actually had a couple of million dollars in revenue, our valuation was a third of what it was. It blew my mind. I was like, I don't get it. Wait a minute. I had nothing. You gave me this high valuation. Now I actually have something. Like I actually have revenue. I've proven this concept. And my valuation is a third of or, or half of what it was. And we ended up surviving and, and being successful. So we won a few companies that kind of made it through the dot-com bust and, and we sold the company. It really blew my mind, right? And so even though I intellectually understood that, unfortunately, it took a journey like that for me to really understand that. 
I'm nothing but a little boat on the ocean. Ocean goes up and down. It has nothing to do with me. I could have a great company and COVID. I could have a great company and the bank crisis hits. It has nothing to do with me. And in fact, if you have the right kind of company and the, and, and the crisis hits, you might even be valued significantly more if you had the right company. And nothing, and that's got nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with how smart you are, how well you run the company. You're just a little boat on the ocean. And I think that a lot of entrepreneurs can't understand that, unfortunately. But they, they need to understand that. That's why what Colin said about understanding the cycles and understanding the tides, I look at it that way, so that timing is important. Colin has experienced them all. He's experienced good timing of exiting at the right time, making money, and he's experienced bad timing. He made a ton of dollars that he could not take, right? Because he had a lockup and all those kind of reasons. <laughs> By the time his lockup was over, it was with peanuts, not even big peanuts, kind of tiny little crumbly peanuts. So he's experienced, like he, this whole timing concept, he's experienced it fully. There's so many lessons in failure, isn't there? And I think that's where we learn the most. It's when we get our best education is when we go through times like that. And of course, failure brings a lot of resilience. And of course, that's what this podcast is all about. So I'd love to ask as a final question to you is what is your definition of resilience and how does one become resilient? Go back to that story of we went from a billion dollar company, fast growing company in Canada to finish last place. What did we do next? My brother and I looked at each other and said, well, what do we love? And what we did love was building technology that changed the world or, or helping change the world through technology. So we developed a web hosting and email platform, which we launched and scaled and got venture capital and did an IPO and it sold to a Fortune 500 company. Good things happened, but that happened because we were developing technology that we loved. And I think following that, if your passion, and I know people use the word passion, I use the word love in the book, and there's no other way of saying it. You got to love it because it's a roller coaster. It's freaking tough. It's up and down. And when you're at those low points, if you don't love it or love your topic, then it's going to be hard to pull it out. Right now, we have a company called Paw.com. Three years in a row, fastest growing company, Inc. Magazine. And then, bam, the pandemic hangover came and it started to struggle and it's come down. It's coming back up again right now. But the fact is, I love my dogs. Uh, we love our King Charles Spaniels. And that was one of the motivations for me th throughout this company is how do I create great products for dogs? And just part of a passion of mine, one of my few passions. So why not turn that and make some money from it? And I, I would say that how do you become resilient? Well, first, how do you consider things when, when things don't go right? You know, you, I think you you asked me this email, what's my failure mindset is an example of the question. And to me, you've got to have a learning and growth mindset. And if you don't fail or make mistakes, then, and this is what I mean by the, the, the mindset, if you don't fail and make mistakes, then you're probably not learning fast enough. One of my guys that works here, he ran a business that didn't make it. And when I hired him, he asked me, he said, he said, you, you do know that, you know, I've had this thing. I said, yeah, so what? He said, that, that doesn't matter to you, that my business didn't work? I say, yes, of course it matters to me. Someone else paid for your tuition, and I'm the beneficiary. So as long as you learn, because there's no wisdom in the second kick of the mule. Someone paid for your tuition, man. I'm going to reap it. I'm going to reap the rewards of that. So to become resilient, I think you've got to first have that kind of a mindset that life is long, 
if you're lucky and if life is short, then who gives a damn? You're going to die early. Like if I'm going to die tomorrow, then who gives a damn, right? But if I live through tomorrow, then life is long. I should be learning. So I think first you got to uh, take care of your physical and your mental health. You got to be present. You got to have a learning mindset. You've got to be have a willing to fail mindset, and then you juxtaposition that with hope, joy, and and love. That's kind of I think how you become resilient. I mean, my worst days, my wife will look at me and she'll help me. She'll say, "Hey, what's the problem? What's the big deal?" And she'll remind me that it's not a big deal. Like I'm living here, I'm breathing, I'm eating. I don't know in the hospital. It's going to be just fine. So I think sometimes we just get so wrapped up in, oh, my God, I'm going to get killed. No, you're not going to get killed. I remember when my business was failing, the first company that succeeded, I met a friend in, in Arizona. I met him at the airport, and I was crying. And I was like, I think I'm going to die. And he laughed. He said, Patrick, you're not going to die. You have a company that is successful. He said, maybe you might have to lay off half your staff, and you're, you're really suffering from that idea. But you won't die. So I think sometimes it's just too, ah, but you just got to like breathe and just kind of let it go. It's it's going to be okay. I, I, that's what it takes, I think, to be, for me anyway, that's what it's taken for me to be resilient and, and come back from things which are difficult. Yeah. I think the only thing I would add to that, Patrick, is get a coach. <laughs> because one thing we've definitely <laughs> emphasized in this conversation is the value that coaches yes. really bring to an entrepreneur who's out there starting up, scaling up, figuring out how to exit and how to start all over again. I think that's the interesting thing about this conversation. And often um, entrepreneurs don't think of it in that order um, because we don't think about the exit. It's my baby. I started. It's my idea. How could I ever give it up? Right. You can't even imagine that, um, especially in the beginning stages. But the good news about it is if you can figure out your exit with some cash on the table, love that then you can start up the next thing and bring around your next big idea and maybe grow it even bigger and scale it even better and learn from the mistakes and the failures and keep going. And I think that is the resilience part. It's the keep going. It's the keep pushing forward. It's the learning from your mistakes, getting the advice along the way so that you can keep growing and keep focused. And it's that outsider opinion of your business that I think is so incredibly valuable that you'll never get from employees, from even partners, even because we're so like people pleasing, we're helping each other, we, we want to be a team, you want to say yes, yes, yes to the boss. Whereas the outside coach is gonna be like, hang on a second, that doesn't make sense, try this and maybe just give you a different perspective which can bring up a lot of success to a business. So the value you bring, Patrick, and what you do, the value you bring, Colin, in writing a book that can help at any stage of business, no matter where the entrepreneur is, and all the experts that you had the opportunity to talk to, wow, and we could all learn from, fantastic. So we'll link the book in the show notes so people can get a copy of it and read it. Please give us feedback if you do read the book. We'd love to hear from you. And I just want to thank you both for being here with us today on Resilient Entrepreneurs. It was an amazing conversation full of so many great lessons from such seasoned entrepreneurs. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. There's the there's book, the book if you're right looking. There. Yeah, there's the book right there. And let me say, it's it's a meaty book. I've been told it's very, very easy to read. ChatGPT says it's conversational style. And it really is. It's a, a compilation of stories with so many experts, including... Patrick and the stories and, and, and the, the, the value that he shares. I will say it takes a village to raise a startup. And that means getting into an incubator. That means getting a mentor. It means getting a coach. 
And when you do that, you can see your chances of success increase dramatically. I love it. Say that again. It takes, takes a, a village vi to raise a startup. Takes a village to raise a startup. I love it. Thank you so much. That's brilliant. Thank you guys. Enjoy the rest. See you soon. Take care.